Cashflow Diary Podcast, episode 415. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. The podcast that teaches you insider tips, tactics, and strategies for creating leveraged streams of cash flow into your life. Learn from top-performing entrepreneurs, business owners, investors, and thought leaders from across the globe as they share their secrets to success. Like what you learn on this and other Cashflow Diary podcast episodes? Go to learninvestingnow.com and sign up to receive powerful tips and information that will help you succeed as an entrepreneur and investor. Now, here's your host, investor, entrepreneur, business owner, educator, speaker, author, and master facilitator of Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Game, Jay Massey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Massey, and I'm glad that you're here today because I think one of the most important things that we do as entrepreneurs, obviously, we do the thing that creates cash flow, builds profit, makes businesses happen, but we don't settle for status quo. Why, why is that important, Jay? I know that's what you're asking. Uh, it's because we improve things. We may find an industry in a certain condition. We may find our entry into that industry because of the very things that are quote unquote broken, but many of us come with this desire to make it better. And I have with me today, someone who clearly has that desire because he's made the industry better in various different ways, too many to actually count. But what's awesome is that he's gonna be sharing his information, his insights on entrepreneurship, and more importantly, how to make things better through positive destruction. And you and I are going to gain a lot from it. I have with me today none other than Seth Marin. He's an entrepreneur, global business leader, and philanthropist who has reinvented how Wall Street can work for good and use technology to make the market safer and more efficient for investors. And that's honestly, I think, what we all want. So I know there's going to be a lot of lessons that you're going to hear. You're going to hear a lot of nuggets. You're going to hear a lot of those special things that you're like, man, that was the very thing I needed to hear to make sure that my business continues to grow, that we continue to innovate. So make sure that you're ready to listen and help me welcome Seth Marin. Seth, you there? I'm here, Jay. Thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. I am glad that you are here. Now, this being your first time here, I tend to ask everyone on their first time the same question question first. Are you ready? Yep. All right. I tend to look at today's entrepreneurs a lot like yesterday's superheroes, you know, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, if Mm -hmm. you will. And I think entrepreneurs and superheroes have a ton of things in common. Chief among them, occasionally, we at least imagine ourselves flying around, saving our customers and providing products and services that improve lives. But also, like superheroes, entrepreneurs have a beginning. For example, you think about Spider-Man. There was a time where he was just a college kid going to school, taking some photos, trying to make ends meet. That's really his entire story until he gets bit by a spider, has a superpower, and then we know him as Spider-Man. So my question to you, sir, is before the accolades, before the awards, before being named innovator of the decade by advanced trading, before all of these things, what we want to know is who is Seth Marin? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, it took me years to actually find out the answer to that. And the answer really <laughs> is, um, 
you know, I take a look at things, and, and my, my first reaction is, say, WTF, right? Right. What the, and, and that's a whole chapter in, in the book that I wrote. And it's, it's about taking a look at what is um, and figuring out how we can make it better. And, you know, I was early on in, in the whole um, computer uh, era. Um, you know, back when I went to college, I was pretty much the only one with a personal computer. Um, so therefore, I was termed the computer guru. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, it gave me some insight into what technology can do to current paradigms. And, you know, the sky is the limit. We're only limited by our imagination in terms of what technology can do, can pr provide, can disrupt to um, existing companies or existing industries. So I've, I learned very often from, from the very first job that I had um, that uh, whatever they were doing, I felt could be improved. And my job and the fun of it and the excitement of it was to take what they were doing and improve it. And, and that's how I built my career since then. I got it. I got it. I, I totally love that. You naturally see what's broken and want to fix it. Now, I, I'm kind of curious when it comes to looking at, you know, large, uh, you know, forces or, you know, market forces or just the concept of Wall Street in and of itself. When you were let, let's go back to the beginning, if you can, and share with us, what did you see that was broken that made you and you go, I can fix that? Because oftentimes when we do spot something, the problem can feel a little too large for us to even start trying. Yeah, and I would add to that, and I would say a lot of people simply take a look at it as a cost of doing business, perhaps not even a problem, or they say, you mm. know, it, it, you know they, uh, it hasn't been solved, therefore, you know, that's the way it always has been, and that's the, always, that's the way it will always be. Um, and, you know, what I feel, what I believe is that's a great starting place for figuring out your next company. If you can take a look and say, you know, why, why are we doing it this way? Or, you know, there's such a better way to solve this problem. Or, you know, in, um, <clears throat> in my first company, it was uh, Marin Financial and, um, you know, you, you, back in, it was 82. And, and back then, everyone thought that, um, you know, Wall Street was the most technologically advanced industry uh, in the world. And you go and you took a look behind the scenes and everything was incredibly paper-based and manual. So, you know, in, in the front office, it was all shiny, nice computers. In the back office, where ultimately things broke down, it's like working in a restaurant and seeing what goes on, you know, how do they make the sausage? And, and you might never eat sausage again. <laughs> in Wall Street, you know, what I took a look at is that, you know, it, it, the, behind the nice shiny facade was a mess. And, and my first company, Marin Financial, was about cleaning up that mess, about taking all that paper and putting it onto a computer. And, and what we created was something called an order management system. And the, it was the equivalent of paper checks versus uh, Quicken. So everything in Wall Street was paper checks, and we created the first Quicken for Wall Street to simply automate a lot of the processes that were then manual, that were screwing things up, that were breaking things down, um, and it ushered in a whole new industry um, that allowed Wall Street to ultimately go electronic. Yes, yes, and I get that, but it, okay, so here's the thing. There's probably more than one would-be entrepreneur or entrepreneur right now who sees something that's broken, and it's big, it's looming, it's huge, 
where does the courage come from to go, I can fix that? So to me, um, it, it is all about stacking the deck in your favor. And that's where the ultimate courage comes. And there's so many different tips on how to get things started in the book. But, you know, perhaps the, the one overriding tip is you have to stack the deck in your favor. There's so many things in business that are outside of your control. And whatever business plan you put together will be wrong. You're, you're not going to make that <laughs> amount of money. You'll either go above or below, but not, what, not within the business plan. Right. So how do you stack the deck in your favor? And that is about creating an unfair competitive advantage. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to go and you have to look at the problem. What is the problem that you want to solve on behalf of your prospects or your current customers? And this is no different whether you're starting your own company or you're inside of a company and you want to make a huge difference, a disruptive level of difference. Um, so there are two ways that you can go about looking at, for the problem that you want to solve. One is um, taking uh, first, looking at your prospects and your customer base and really bearing down, asking them, understanding what is their first, second, third largest problem that they're facing today. Hmm. And frequently, um, one or more of those problems are a problem that hasn't been solved. That could be a problem that people just look at as a cost of doing business. It could be a problem of you know, people saying that's the way it's always been done. And those are, that's where you take a look at the current paradigm and you say, God, I could do so much better. The other way to, to take a look at uh, a problem is simply, you know, is there some big, large problem that is um, or has not been solved because it is looked at as simply a cost of doing business. My current company, Liquinet, today, um, what we did was we took a look at the biggest problem that faced institutional investors. These are investors that manage money on behalf of all of us that invest money into mutual funds and pension funds. And they had grown so large, the assets under management had grown so large that every time they wanted to buy and sell stock, they didn't want to buy and sell 100 shares. They wanted to buy and sell a million shares. And that million shares of demand moved the market. And when we started LiquidNet, there was a whole industry that was built simply to measure how much it cost the institutions every time they, they went to buy and sell stock. And if you added up all of those together, it turned out to be a $100 billion problem every year. Wow. A hundred billion dollar tax on everybody's returns that invest their money into mutual funds and pension funds. And that was looked at as a cost of doing business. You have to take a look at that problem, you know, with, with unbelievable relish and say, God, if I can solve that problem, that would be an enormous company. So, you know, we, we went about trying and figuring out how to solve that problem. So once you identify the problem, then of course, the, the, the secret is going to be in how do you solve it? How do you, how do you solve that problem that, that's never been solved before? How do you solve that problem in a way that has never been used before? And it doesn't necessarily only require technology. An example that I use in the book is that of Cemex, which is a cement company in Mexico, not necessarily the highest tech industry. But the mm -hmm. problem that they looked at was that um, these people, the, the companies that build these huge 
skyscrapers mm-hmm. or shopping malls, mm-hmm. they either ordered way too much cement or not enough cement. Either mm-hmm. way, it cost them delays and money. And what they did was they took a concept from another industry, which is just-in-time inventory. They applied it to the cement industry. And because of that, this Mexican cement company became the largest cement supplier in the world. Huh. Now, uh, okay, I just want to make sure I heard what you said correctly. You said a $100 billion tax in terms of every time someone wanted to buy or sell. That's billion with a B. That's worth a B. And that's been happening for how long? Well, the, the, the major bull market started in 1982. So between 1982 and today, the amount of institutionally managed assets had grown 40 times in the last 30 some odd years. That's a- so that problem simply grew over time. Okay. And nobody said, hey, let's fix it. That's interesting to me. No. I mean, that seems like a really big number for it to be. I mean, are they do they are, are these types of problems that you're seeking always that large? And that seems kind of like obvious in some way, shape or form. Or what, why was it so hidden? I'm not sure it was hidden. It was looked at as a cost of doing business. It was huh. the way that business has always been done. Why is it that, you know, um, cement companies or, or people could not estimate or, or get on-time delivery or just-in-time delivery of cement, right? And there, there are these huge problems that are, are in plain sight in virtually every industry out there. The question is, can you see it? I see, I see, I see. So this is kind of like that, that story where, you know, somebody just cuts the ends off of the bread or they cut the turkey a certain way and no one knows why. We just do it now and that's just the way it's done and it doesn't necessarily mean it's the most efficient way. It's just the way it's done and no one has questioned it because it's been done that way for so long or just accepted. Absolutely. Got it. Ikea, take, take Ikea. There are, there are examples in, in, vert, in every industry. So you remember, you know, when I graduated college um, and myself and all my friends, the best that we could afford was two cinder blocks and a piece of plywood for a table, <laughs> right? Okay. Because we didn't have any money. What, what Ikea saw was a huge opportunity in making really inexpensive furniture for that demographic. And how did they cut costs? Well, they used less expensive material, and they did not assemble it. They, they asked each one of us to assemble it, which was fine with us, because we were happy to do that to save that money. And IKEA has become the largest furniture supplier in the world, because they approached a problem that nobody else looked at as a particular problem. Interesting. Okay, okay. So... Is this what you mean with, I mean, the title of your book is The Power of Positive Destruction. And, and, and by, def, by you know, uh, when you think of the definition of the word creation, in order to create something new, something usually old uh, or existing has to be transformed in, in, into a different way. Is, was this the impetus for writing the book is to let others know that, hey, there's probably something that you could do that could save, uh, create a complete new industry or be able to make a positive impact in some way? So the impetus for the book was exactly that. And that is, you know, I've been asked to, to speak and to provide advice to entrepreneurs, to mentor people. And, and you know, the same themes started coming uh, and appearing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was giving the same advice over and over again. Right. So, you know, I thought it would be great 
you know, it would have been unbelievable if I had these tips, um, these pieces of advice when I first started out. <laughs> so the power of positive destruction is really the distillation of all the things that I wish that I had known 30 years ago in a concise format, in a no-bull format, with real actionable items that you can take away and, and really implement. And it starts at the idea creation, and it goes through building the company, building a, a, a long-lasting, successful company, focusing on culture, dealing with a higher purpose, really everything that, that one needs to know, I think, to create um, a, a very successful company. Positive destruction is, is a term that I uh, coined because it, it is really the difference between major disruption and incremental change. And the difference is, you know, the, the analogy that I use is, is that of, uh, are you going to remodel a house or are you going to build a house from scratch? And if you're going to remodel a house, that's fine. You're, you're constrained by the framing, by the foundation, by the walls, and you can build something beautiful, but it would be incrementally beautiful. And that's all fine and, and good. That's not what positive destruction is. Positive destruction is about uh, you know, getting rid of all the barriers, getting rid of everything that you know, taking a look at a problem in a whole new lens, and coming up with a solution that is not constrained by anything that we thought about before that had already existed, that might you know, be thought about as um, just uh, the cost of doing business or, or a problem that just it's the way that it's always been done. And if you can, if you can create... Um, a, a solution that um, solves a problem that other people have not thought about or have not viewed as a problem or solve it in, 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 a, uh, in a different way, um, in a much better way, that creates what I call an unfair competitive advantage. And that is how you stack the deck in your favor. That is how you ultimately get the confidence to go out and try this. Because, you know, back, back in the, you know, the whole dot-com era, mm. um, people were coming up with business plans that says the furniture industry is <clears throat> a $1 trillion industry, and if I just get 2% of it, it's going to be an, uh, an incredibly successful company. And that's not a business plan. And that's not a reason <laughs> for people to buy from you. What you want to do is you, you want to spend the time before you spend your own money, before you ask other people for money, Make sure that you have that unfair competitive advantage, that you can actually um, uh, deliver that unfair competitive advantage in an incredibly compelling 30-second uh, elevator pitch. And that 30-second elevator pitch has to be so compelling that whoever is listening to you, whoever you're selling to, would be absolutely stupid if they did not buy your service or your product. That is how you get the level of confidence that I think that you need to start asking your friends and family to back your idea. Got it. Got it. And that makes that, that makes perfect sense. And I totally understand. Let me let me ask this question. Now, you you mentioned that positive destruction. There's a number of I mean, connotations to the word destruction. And then you 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 apply this in 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 Wall Street, which has its own, you know, connotations associated with it. Yet that you're still saying it's positive. So help us unpack how, from your standpoint, you see the impact that we can then have through this uh, being positive. And more specifically, there's a lot of people who wouldn't consider Wall Street a positive entity in and of itself, but yet you do. Hello there, entrepreneur. This is Jay Massey. 
I know that if you've ever gone over to the site cashflowdiary.com, you may have asked yourself, where on earth do you get a domain name from? Especially as you are beginning to build your bigger, better, better business, you need a web presence. You need the email address. You need a way for people to contact you electronically so that you can stop doing the at gmail.com game. Well, the good folks over at GoDaddy have definitely supplied us with every domain that we have ever used. So what I want you to do is I want you to go over to trygodaddy.com forward slash cashflow diary. Again, that's trygodaddy.com forward slash cashflow diary because it's a quick way for you to get set up to capture your domain name the exact way that you want it. They got easy search functions. And most importantly for you is that you'll be up and running today. As I said, once you get started, stay started. Don't let small little obstacles of how to get your own domain name going stop you. So again, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash cashflow diary and let's get back to the rest of the story. Well, it's all in what you do with it, right? So destruction, you're right, is, is by itself a negative word, which is why we, we tack on the positive in front of it. Because, you know, in order to create a truly disruptive um, business, you, you have to break down what's there uh, to begin with. It's, it, it is raising the house. It's not remodeling the house. So break down the problem, break down the current solutions, and build something fresh, something completely new, taking something that other industries have used. Um, you know, Uber or Airbnb, they simply, they applied technology. They applied a mobile application to, um, to uh, um, industries that you didn't really know um, had a problem. But in fact, you know, um, there are lots of cities out there that have no taxi networks. Um, and when you travel globally, you have no idea who to contact when you need a, a car. Um, now you have a mobile. Everyone has mobile applications. They applied that to the taxi or to the service car industry, and they disrupted it completely. Now, the people who started Uber, the people that started Airbnb, they had absolutely no um, experience in, in the service industry, not, neither in the car nor in the hotel business. But they, they took technology um, and they completely disrupted um, these two industries. Amazon did the same thing. You know, Bezos had no experience in the retail industry, but, um, you know, uh, uh, now it, is, it has a larger mar market cap. It's worth more than Walmart, the largest retailer in the world. So, you know, Wall Street... Um, like any other industry, it has its good participants and its bad participants. And, you know, there's been traditionally a lot of greed associated with Wall Street that, um, you know, created a lot of conflicts between the Wall Street people and, and their, their customers. You know, LiquidNet, um, to, to us, and, and part of the, the, what I talk about in the culture of the book, is creating a higher purpose. LiquidNet, it's not all about making money. What, what gets us up in the morning, running to work, um, and what our mission and vision is, is to create more efficient marketplaces, right? So we, we, we've done it and we've disrupted the institutional equity marketplace, meaning um, we now uh, allow our institutional customers to trade in 44 different markets around the world. And when they trade in LiquidNet, it's, on, you know, it's anywhere from well, 100 to, to several hundred times um, the type of execution, the size of execution they can get somewhere else. We're now doing the same thing in corporate bonds. 
Um, so we're, we're actually saving um, millions and millions of dollars for all those people that do invest their money in, in these mutual funds and pension funds. So hopefully we're having a very, very positive impact on you know, people's savings, but also the industry that we're working in. Indeed, indeed. Now, you, you bring up you know, some industries that are really close to my heart, especially when you start or companies that are close to my heart because they really connected, you know, to the real estate industry. Um, I often say to people and I'll say again here is that <laughs> real estate um, is I mean, we're still using paper. It, it sounded like the way that you were describing Wall Street back in the day is is how I feel today when I look at the real estate industry and just how transactions are done and how all of this stuff happens and how you get information, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm kind of curious as to what you see out there in the marketplace as like if someone's listening right now, what are those top three or five industries that you go, you know what? These are overdue for some major overhaul. And more importantly, is real estate one of those? <laughs> Um, yes, I believe that real estate could be one of those more, more closer to my heart. Um, and you know, I would say real estate perhaps is, is more of the top five, but closer to my heart, um, two industries that should be, will be, and can be disrupted mm. by technology. Um, one is education huh. and two, two is healthcare. And if you think about just um, what, what kind of technology can be applied to, to education, you know, if you think about the games that kids play today and how unbelievably realistic it is, um, albeit with all the blood and guts and gore, right? But imagine um, using and applying that level of realism to history, where students can actually be immersed mm. in the Napoleonic Wars, or the Revolutionary War, or you know, any part of history. And think of all the senses that that would touch with the kids out there, and how much fun it would be to go to school every day, and how compelling it would be. So I think that you know, that's, that's coming down the pike, and that's, that would be amazing in terms of productivity. Um, and in terms of healthcare, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, mm -hmm. anybody that has ever been sick, um, you know, would would love to um, completely disrupt the whole healthcare uh, <laughs> industry, right? Some I might mean, even it, go as far as say dismantle, but yes, disrupt. We'll stick with disrupt for now. <laughs> you yes. go to a hospital, <laughs> and for every department, why do you have to fill out exactly the same information? Oh in my today's God! Day and age, <laughs> yes, right? yes. We yes. all live this, and we all we all <laughs> dread this. Well, you know, today there's so much technology that's coming down um, that's available in terms of personalized medicine. So, you know, to, to have to go to um, uh, a hospital to take a blood test, to hear back two weeks later, um, and, you know, to not really understand whatever the results are, you know, you think about all of the capabilities of technology today to simply stay in touch with people. Why not have a system that will text you or email you the results and simply explain it to you in, in plain English, neuro-linguistic generation or processing. Mm. You know, they're all very, very simple things. And, and for the personalized medical devices, for, for them to, um, you know, to record your, um, your blood pressure, for them to record your 
um, your uh, sugar levels. These are all things that um, can, are, are, are many computers to begin with, but why not transmit the information to the doctor, have the doctor take a look at it, have the computer read it, um, and um, be able to push out real-time results. So that, you know, this back and forth is absolutely unnecessary. The, the, the trips to the hospital are probably unnecessary because there's so many personalized devices that could keep you at home, provide you with the information, um, and even connect you so much better with your personal um, physician or, or practice. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. It's one of the reasons that I actually appreciate the Apple watch a lot is because I, I constantly monitor certain vital signs, but one of the ones I wish I I'm waiting for somebody, hopefully they're listening to, to make this one is where it can monitor just my oxygen saturation as an asthmatic. It would be really awesome if someone <laughs> made that happen because it's, it's something that we all have to deal with when we can't well breathe, but there could be better ways. You're 100% correct. And you know that there will be, and there probably are right now. It's just that most doctors and most people focus on their day-to-day as opposed to taking some time off to figure out, okay, what's out there today? What can I learn? What can I use to actually make my practice, my business, you know, disruptive that much better? Um, And if you took a couple of days um, a week or, you know, even a few hours a day, um, to spend some time on that, to really think out of the box, to think about um, ways of positively destructing that business and building it back so much better and, and different, using some of the capabilities that are available today that perhaps weren't available when you started the business, um, you always have the ability to transform your business or to transform an industry by creating a new business. Well, and you actually bringing up your, that was like perfect. It's like you plucked my next question right out of my head before I even asked it was, I I was trying to think, how does this persist for so long? And why aren't there more people like you who are out there trying, looking for those things? Or, I mean, what could we do to either become that person or help someone who's in that spot? Well, um, it is, it's a mindset and, you know, I think that most people are constrained by what they know, constrained by what has been done before, constrained by what has not been done. And if you get beyond that and you simply ask, and this is a whole chapter in the book, this is WTF, right? There are so many things that you probably do on a daily basis that, you know, if you simply, you know, thought about it for a second, you say, why are we doing it this way? Or why is it being done this way? And start questioning everything. Um, and, you know, not to the point of getting unbelievably annoying to everybody, but in your own head, you know, you can start asking right. these questions of yourself. You can start asking questions of your own customers. You know, what is, you know, if I solved, what is your biggest problem? And if I solved that, what would that do to you? What would that do for you? Um, and it's really not all that complicated. And it's not all that complicated to go from um, the, the mindset of that's the way that we've always done business to WTF. Okay. So then let's pretend for a second that some of the those that are listening or, or even, you know, you and I later today or what have you, you, you spend some time going through that and you end up with this notepad of all of these things that you realize could use some improvement. What's the process for going, but this is the one that we're going to focus on right now? 
I would, I would put it into um, order and prioritize it. What is the biggest problem, right? So if, if you had something that you could actually quantify at a $100 billion a year problem, I would probably put that at the, at the top. Now, that doesn't come <laughs> along every day, right? right? But um, you know, if, if you go to, and, and I think that you have to go and you have to get some help here and get some validation, but if you go to a bunch of prospects, and it doesn't have to be all that many, it could be between five and 10, a bunch of prospects or a bunch of customers, um, and say, okay, um, I've got these, these problems that, you know, you've told me about, why don't you rank them for me in terms of what would be most beneficial to you? And if you can solve the one, if there's a consensus, and generally there's always a consensus if you go to, you know, five to ten, um, and if I, if I solve this problem for you, um, what would that do for you? How would that benefit you? And what would it be worth to you? So, um, you know, I, I think that it's great to be able to start with a full page of ideas, um, but whittle it down into solving your, your, your customer's biggest problems. And, of course, you want to build a, uh, an economic model on that, so make sure that they're going to pay you for it and that it's worth quite a lot to them to be solved. Now, when you say biggest, is it the one that necessarily causes the most pain or the one that maybe has the most monetary value associated with it? Um, either way, I think it would be fine, right? And, and it, sometimes hmm. it depends on the economy. You know, if you're talking about a growth economy, then everyone's looking at growth. So I would go and I would attack the one, um, the, the biggest problem that can solve or, or generate more revenue for the customer. In a contracting economy, uh, in a recessionary economy, everyone's looking at saving costs. So in that kind of scenario, I would go for the one that has the, the largest cost savings to the customer. But barring that, you know, in, in just a general environment, um, you go for the one that you think has the biggest economic uh, impact that you can build a great company around. Got it. Got it. So uh, if if you had to, if, if I was to ask you the just the question, what do you think, you know, entrepreneurs today who are starting businesses well, what is it that we're not doing other than, you know, like you said, if I can just get 2% of a <laughs> trillion dollar industry, that would be great. What else could we be doing to help make sure that we're building more companies uh, of this kind and more importantly, having greater economic impact from the beginning, from the idea stage? Well, I think we, we went through um, how to generate the idea, yes. how to validate the idea. Um, and then, how do you solve that idea? There, technology is always a great enabler, but it doesn't only require or, or has to be a technology solution, as, as we, we talked about in the Senex example. Take a look at other things that um, other industries have applied that might be, you know, if you apply it to, to your industry, to your company, might be a complete game changer. Um, and then, you know, you have to validate that with your customers or your prospect base and make sure that they agree with that. And, and the way that you understand it is, again, that 30-second unbelievably compelling pitch. And, and most entrepreneurs simply do not take the time um, to uh, really focus on what is their unfair competitive advantage. Um, they, they don't spend the time uh, or enough time making their pitch so compelling that um, people would feel stupid not buying it. All of that stacks the deck in the favor of the entrepreneur. And anytime you have an opportunity to stack the deck, you should do that. So you should definitely spend more time up front really figuring that out 
And if you haven't gotten to that level, then you haven't finished your job. Mm. So, you know, there are so many people um, during boom times and certainly, you know, that get funded by venture capitalists in Silicon Valley with really incomplete business plans. And, you know, it, it does go from, hey, big industry, 2%, great company, give me money, um, to, you know, something that's less than simply an unfair competitive advantage. If somebody wants my money, I'm going to say, what is your edge? Why is it that somebody is going to buy that product from you as opposed to another company that's been established for 100 years, is a 1,000 times larger than you, has an existing customer base? You have to overcome all of those objections. So it's really about doing that level of homework up front. And if you have not achieved those, that level of being uh, your compelling pitch and your unfair um, value proposition, then you should either do more homework or move on to the next idea. Got it. Got it. So I, I know for those that have listened this far, they're intrigued for sure. They, they probably want to get more and understand more of how you're thinking, how you're attacking the marketplace so that they can have their own opportunity at some positive destruction. What's going to be the best way for them to find out more about what you have going on either at LiquidNet or, or with even with the book or whatever else is going on these days? Well, our website is liquidnet.com. The website for the book is positivedestructionbook.com. And the name of the book is The Power of Positive Destruction, which is available on Amazon or, or any bookstore. Excellent. So uh, as we wind down here, I got a question, and I think your answer is going to be one of the most unique we have ever you know, uh, received, simply based upon what you've shared thus far. So uh, I want to ask That's you this. <laughs> Not for me. Uh, but <laughs> yes. so what it comes down to is when – Let's pretend for a moment that someone listening, that, that, that would-be entrepreneur, that entrepreneur is already in business, they're standing in front of that superhero outfit store, right? They, they think they want to jump into this thing. They think they have that idea. However, in the back of their mind, they have that voice. And I know you know that voice. I know you've done battle with that voice. And for some people who are listening, I know they're related to that voice that always comes up and reminds them of what they're not and why it won't work. And well, no one's ever done it before. So why should you be the one, you know, that voice? My question yep. to you is let's pretend uh, that uh, the person listening is actually going to follow through on what you're about to say, and they're going to do so in the next 24 to 48 hours. What would you tell them to do? Um, I would say that so many companies have been started um, either just through sheer stupidity, meaning they had no idea how hard it would be, right? How many times have we both heard that? I, if I had any idea how hard it would be, or if I had any idea how long it would take me, I would right. never have started that, right? I've said so that in, one. In some, respects, in some respects, you know, um, it, it's, it's okay um, to, to, to have the stupid factor. But in, in others, um, you, you, you have to eliminate all sense of doubt, right? So, you know, um, failure is not an option. That, is, that has to be your mantra because, you know, whatever can go wrong will go wrong, right? Mm. So nothing ever goes according to plan, and you could be absolutely positive about that. You have to be so convicted and so convinced 
because it's, it will take longer than you think it will or think it should. Um, and, you know, you're going you're gonna to approach people and they're not going to buy it on, on the spot. And you're going to think that they're completely stupid. Um, but even so, it's your responsibility to keep on going back um, and continue to, to push forward. The biggest, you know, the, the, the uh, best advice that I can give is simply to make sure that you have enough cash in the bank to continue going. Um, so raise the money when you can raise the money. Don't raise the money until you're absolutely sure that, you know, you're, you're convicted that this is going to work. Um, but, you know, uh, we all understand that, that perfectly good companies go out of business, not because the idea is bad, but because they run out of money. And that is just a shame. So there, there's a whole mechanism out there, whether it is Silicon Valley, it's venture capital, it's the angel networks, um, it's crowdfunding. It's never, there's never been so many opportunities to go out and raise money from people that you don't know and that don't know you. Um, that those are the people that will validate your idea. If they ultimately, if you can't raise a dollar from any of those um, prospects, then perhaps you should go back to the drawing board. But if, you're, if you've done your homework and if you've created that unfair competitive advantage, if you created that compelling 30-second pitch, you should be able to raise money. And then your, your best, your, what you have to do there is you have to continue pushing forward, never saying, never letting no... Um, uh, stop you, um, and you know every barrier or obstacle that you hit. Your job is how to overcome it. Look at business as simply a series of problems that have to be solved, hmm. and that's your sport, and that's how you succeed. Nice and well said. Uh, I definitely appreciate you taking the time not only to create the book, spread the message, but also to share it here with us today at the Cashflow Diary, sir. It's a pleasure to be on your show, Jay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for you to move at the speed of instruction. What does that mean? That means positive destruction book. Dot com. You know you heard ideas today that you need to document for yourself, implement for yourself, and go make your business better. Because at the end of the day, it's up to us. We're the entrepreneurs who get the privilege of serving hundreds and millions of people with our great ideas. Now. It's your turn to go make it happen. It's been fun talking to you guys today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time.